I hope your hearts are ready, your, your ears are wide open, and your hearts are softened to receive what God has for you today, and that God, you allow God to change you and mold you and shape you into his image. That is what he wants to do in our lives this morning as we study his word. If you would please open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're going to be picking right back up where we left off. As you know, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and we're just getting really close. I'm not taking all of chapter 6 today, so don't panic. I know you're looking in behind me and know that I'm only going to be willing to take 10 verses this morning, but it's going to be full packed, I assure you. So I hope your uh, hands are warmed up to take your notes and uh, follow along as we look in the scripture here. Again, Father, we again thank you and praise you. And as we open up your word, may your Holy Spirit move in the hearts of the people that are listening. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Now, Paul continues here at the end of this part of his letter here, of this chapter we call chapter 6, with godly advice to a young pastor named Timothy, there pastoring in the uh, church there in Ephesus. And as Timothy is ministering to the people, he has to learn as a pastor to be able to minister to all kinds of various types of people that God is bringing into that church. And that as a pastor, he has to learn how to minister to these various kinds of believers in the church and to keep his own life in the will of God. And that's not always an easy thing. You know that, right? Because as you invest in your li- yourself into the lives of the people God bl- brings, there's a diversity, a beautiful diversity of people that God has created. And they're all at different walks and steps of, of their walk with Christ. Some who may come into the church that are, do not know Christ at a personal level. They know about God, but they don't have a personal relationship with God. And there is a difference. So if you're hearing this and you go, is there a difference? Then you need to listen up. Because there is a difference. Because once you're saved, you know the difference about knowing about God like Satan knows about God. And then there's someone who has a personal relationship with God. Now, when, when Mark said, you know, and I think even Stan, I think it sh- I should say Stan, maybe it was Stan, that said, he knows the number of the hair on your head. Now, for some of us, it doesn't take much to know me. Because I have less and less hair as the, as the years have gone by. But some of you guys got Goldilocks. They're pretty thick and lots of hair. It's, it's, you know, it's just a joke. But the point is, is the fact that God knows you intimately because he created you. The question is, do you know him intimately? And do you desire that? I hope today that you draw closer in your personal relationship with Christ. Now here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1, we're going to see Paul telling Timothy what to understand, but most importantly, you must teach these things to your people that God brings to the, your church. You must teach these things. You can't bypass these things. You must teach the whole counsel of God that God has for his people. That is your role and responsibility, Timothy. So as we take a look at here, Paul continues in his letter and he says, Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy worthy of all honor so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. So in this very first verse here, we see that Paul is going to address, as we've been seeing over the last few chapters, he's addressing each of the different scenarios or types of people in the church and and, and giving instructions to Timothy to give to the church of how they're to, to behave or how they're the character of how they're to, to, to dwell within that body of Christ there in those, that church. And there's no difference today. But today we're going to see here in verses 1 and 2, he's going to talk to the bond servants, or in your Bible, your translation might say slaves. Or today's modern terminology, we call them employees. 
And so as you have a job, you're in, this is speaking to us in the modern day today as well, but of those also in the bondservant role, as we see in verse 1, let as many bondservants, many. If, at this point in time in Roman culture, at that, uh, when this was written, there's approximately 60 million bondservants or slaves in that community, uh, the Roman community at that time, that are, were under the yoke in, in whatever portion there were, under the yoke meaning under the um, of the weight counted their own masters worthy of all honor he's speaking of non-believing bosses in this situation or masters they're unbelievers they're not followers of Christ so that's what he's speaking to and he's so so picture Timothy he's teaching his people he says okay you're an employee you find yourself at a job right now that you're working and you have a boss as a non-believer now listen up. This is how you're supposed to act as a believer at that job site. This is what he's saying here. Are you with me? Are you tracking? Are you still cold? All right. So what happens here is if you're working for a non-believing boss, or in this case, you're a bondservant working for a master in the position. Now keep in mind, we have a perspective. When we hear the word slave, we immediately put it in the context of slavery we know of in the United States. But you have to understand, during the culture time here in Rome, these bondservants, there was those who were very much uh, uh, not treated well at all, and they were slaves because they, they had to owe someone money. So they gave their lives to them to pay back their, their, their what they owed. Maybe they owed money on land, or they owed them money because they had nothing, no money, so they gave their life over to someone and said, I will work for you because I need to survive. So there was a lot of differences at that point in time in the culture. Also, there was bond service. So at a point, and we see in the scriptures, at six years of the seventh year, they were set free. But they may choose to be a bondservant, meaning I want to continue to work for you. I, I willingly want to stay here and to work for you. Now keep in mind, the, the slaves at the time could have been a lawyer of some type for some, uh, for some master. They could have been doing all of their finances and, and literally like Joseph or Pharaoh rule over all of the finances for their master. So these were good, solid positions that they many of them held with as a bondservant for a master. So keep that in perspective perspective in the context here. So Paul is speaking to this bondservant, these employees for an unbelieving master, and he says they still owe honor to those non-believing masters. So that the name of God, and here's the reason why you want to show honor, this is why you show respect to these non-believing bosses that you're under. You are to do that because you want to so that the name of God and his doctrine, the truths of God, what those scripture says, is not blasphemed. It's not slandered. Understand that. Because that happens many times. There you are as a believer working for a non-believer. And if you don't respect that boss, you're not honoring that boss in the position that or she's, he or she's in. And you blaspheme them or cause the blaspheming of them against you or against God and his truth. Look at you're a Christian. You're never on time when you get to work. You, 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 you're sitting there always on your, on your phone. You're always over here talking about the things of God, but you're never getting your work done. That's what I'm paying you to do. See, you have to be very careful when you're working for someone who is a non-believer. You can bring slander against God and his truth and what the scripture says. So Paul says, you have to understand this. You need to honor them. You need to respect them and the position they find in. And that yoke, which talks about the hard work that is being placed upon them as uh, an employee, this employer is putting such a heavy yoke on them. Colossians 3, verses 22 and through 24 speaks in the same sense. It says, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and do and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. We have jobs who serve at a particular place today and we do that and honoring them and respecting the positions of the people who own those jobs. We do that because we serve Christ. 
That is why we do it. We don't like, as, as Colossians says, an eye, eye service or man pleasers. You don't sit there and go, oh, here comes the boss. And you're working really hard and you're moving that, you know, that all that work and you're just sweating. Oh, boss, how are you doing, man? It's so great to be here. Thanks for the job. And as soon as he walks out, you're like, okay, a smoke break. Let's sit back. Let's, let's just wait. You know his routine. Have, who's got the door? Who's watching the door? So when we know he's coming back, then we'll start working again. That's not how Christians work in the work, in the work world. That's not how it's supposed to be. Paul continues, though, and he goes down in verse 2 and says, those who have believing masters. Now he says, now you're a Christian and you work for a Christian boss, a, a believing masters. Let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. Timothy, teach and exhort these things to the people in the church. They need to understand this. So here you are, an employee. You're working for a boss who's also a, pro a professed Christian. And what was challenging is this. Here you are. You're a slave. You're a bondservant. And you're working for a brother in Christ. A boss, a master who is telling you what to do work. And the tendency was happening is those Christian employees were saying, why are you making me work so hard? Aren't we brothers? Don't you think you should treat me better than those non-believing employees? Don't you, shouldn't you be treating me better? Shouldn't you be giving me the better positions or better uh, 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 higher pay and all these other things? Special treatment? Because we're brothers, right? We're bros in Christ, right? No, that's not how it works. Paul's telling Timothy, you need to teach the people. That's not how it works. It's not an attitude as a Christian you're supposed to have, thinking because you have a Christian boss, they're supposed to give you special treatment and let you get through and have take it easy doing the work so you don't have to do as much work. Let the hard work go to the other guys who are non-believers. That is not how it does it. Matter of fact, as a Christian working for another Christian or brother, it should compel you to go above and beyond because you're serving a brother. You're actually helping a brother in the business or the work that God has brought you. You should be the best employee under a non-believing boss, but even more it should become apparent to your brother who is employing you and paying you that you are a faithful brother, not only at church, but even in the workplace. But think about this. This is what would happen in this culture. Here you are in a business environment. You're working for a Christian boss. And then on Sundays or when they gathered together and worshiped God, all of a sudden, here was the interesting point. The servant, the bond servant who was loyal or honoring the master, the, the believer, now when they go into church, now the bond servant is actually the elder. And the master is now having to be submissive to the bondservant at church. Now, don't you think that would cause some challenges? Think about that. Think cause it to go through that. How many times do you work for someone who is who's a Christian and they go, I don't have a church to go to. And you're like, I want to invite them to church because they need to get plugged in and they need to know the word of God. But you might be in a position that is going to cause the boss who may not be mature enough to handle the fact that you happen to be the deacon or the elder or the usher or someone in charge of different ministries. And now, now your boss by day over through the week, now on the weekend, is actually being in, in a submissive role to you being an elder of a church. But it has to be. Because if you notice, the scriptures talks about submission in all aspects of life. There's a role of submission within the home. There's a role of submission within a church. There's a role of submission within the work environment. This, this is nothing new. This is scriptural. This is good. This is right. Are you with me? 
So we find a challenge here because now Paul is telling Timothy, you've got to teach these, these things to these bond servants who were in your church. And you need to teach these things about masters who are believers who are also coming to your church that the roles and responsibilities, they're, they're good and they're different, but they're godly. They're right. And it's good. And so what happens now is he says at the very end of that verse, Verse 2, teach and exhort these things. Because in the ancient world, where slaves might be treated very differently from master to master, and where there was sometimes tense racism and hatred between slaves and masters, that was not to be brought in whatsoever into the church. Paul and others in the New Testament did not call for any violent revolution against the institution of slavery. They knew that there was no possible way they could overthrow the Roman government. So what happens is God has a different way of doing things. And through Paul and the teaching of the word of God and through the gospel of reaching the lost hearts who are hard-hearted and goes against the, against the things of God, you change their hearts, you change the man, you change the situation. So Paul knew through the gospel they, didn't, they effectively destroyed the foundation of the slavery mentality of racism and greed and class hatred and made civilization without slavery possible because of the change of hearts. The church role today is to continue to share the gospel. And as sharing the gospel, it changes hearts. And when hearts are changed, they go out and they reach other people who are lost and going to hell who need to know the, the saving truth of Jesus Christ. And when their hearts change, they no longer have hearts of the world or of Satan or anything of darkness. It's only but of light and the thing of slavery and greed and class warfare and all those things, they go away. Why? Because we're in unity in Christ. We are all created in the image of God. You know the scriptures. You know the truth. You cannot have it as a Christian have an attitude anything other than what God says is true. That's why we study the whole word of God. And anyone who goes against life is not of God. I don't care how you feel. And I don't care how your background is. If you declare yourself a Christian... You must have the attitude, the mind, the heart, and the living out your life according to the word of God in obedience. Are you with me? I try to make it as simple and as delicate and clear to you all as possible. Because there is no other way of a good, as we will learn, a godly, content life. You fight against the word of God. And you go with the culture and what the world is saying and doing, you will not be content. It's impossible apart from God. Are you with me? So Paul is sitting here telling Timothy, you must teach these things to bond service to slaves. If they want to have a godly contentment in their life, they need to understand how they're to honor non-believing masters and to, be, uh, to honor believing masters that are put above them in the work environment. Now, Paul moves on to verse 3, and verse 3 through 5, he's going to talk about money. He's going to talk about contentment. He's going to talk about godliness in contentment, and it's an important thing for us to know as well as they needed to know there as well. And so Paul says to Timothy, if anyone teaches otherwise... Now, what otherwise? What is he referring to? Just the verses 1 and 2? No. All through the last few chapters, everything he was talking about, how we're supposed to interact with those in the church and outside the church and in the, in the positions. All of this thing I've been writing to you for the last several chapters, Timothy, if anyone teaches otherwise, opposite of what I'm telling you, and does not consent to wholesome words, Moral, ethical, good words. 
That, those are not coming out of their mouth. Be aware. Notice that. Be aware of those people who don't speak wholesomely. And even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which accor- accords with godliness. So if there's anyone out there coming into the church, Timothy, that's starting to not speak, doesn't speak very wholesomely, doesn't speak morally, ethically, doesn't speak good, there's some foul things coming from their mouths that's from their hearts. And if they're not talking about the things of Jesus Christ and what the Word of God is saying, the truths, the doctrines, be very aware as a pastor, Timothy, be very aware. Watch, watch the people. Why? Verse 4, you see the marks of a false teacher because he's teaching opposite of what the truth is of God. So these people coming otherwise are teaching something different. So how do you know if this is a false teacher coming into the church? Timothy, here's the marks of a false teacher. He is proud. He's very proud. He's very determined and knows, he thinks he knows it all. Second, but he's knowing nothing. Knowing nothing. But is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which every envy and strife and reviling evil suspicions, unless uh, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute or empty of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain, from which withdraw yourself. Timothy, I'm going to give it very clear to you. When these people come into the church... And they have the big smiles on. They smell like a Christian. They seem like to act like a Christian. They kind of have a, for a little while, they uh, talk like a Christian. They got the lingo down. Yes, my brother. Yeah, brother. Yes, sister. I got you. You know, all the Christian lingo that you can, anyone can figure out. But over time, you're going to see something, Timothy, if these are false teachers. They're going to start talking. And eventually, they're going to start talking Quietly, with a little bit of here and a little bit there, looking for ways and opportunities to find themselves to have a platform to be able to teach the people. Watch them. And if they start teaching otherwise what I've been telling you and teaching you, they're false teachers. They'll be very proud people. They think they know everything about Christianity, but they really know nothing. That's a mark. That's a characteristic of a person who's like that. The second thing, what did he say? They'll be obsessed with disputes and arguments over words. They love to dispute and argue with anybody who wants to get in the word of God with them. Have you ever met anyone like that? Have you been on Facebook recently? Have you got any environment who say at work environment and someone says, you're a Christian? Yeah. And you mention one truth, one doctrine, something about Jesus Christ, and immediately they want to argue and dispute against you. That happens all the time outside the church, but it can happen inside the church if the church is not solid on the word of God. Because people are, 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 are weak in the faith. They're, 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 they're fragile sheep and the wolves will take a look and try to figure out who's the weak ones and, and they'll be easy to be swayed by their, their own words of wisdom of what they think is truth. So Paul here, as he draws a closure to this first letter here, 1 Timothy he mentions it in the very beginning of this letter, if you remember in 1 Timothy 1.3, about the warning of false teachers coming into the church. You know, many times people think the, the difficult things that you find are people who are actually at the pulpit level actually causing the misinformation to go out against God. But that's not usually where it happens within the church. If it gets to the point where someone, an elder or a pastor, is teaching falsely, there's been a problem much deeper in the church before that happened. 
But typically what happened, and understand this, most or some of the dangerous teachings in the church isn't done at the pulpit, but informal private conversations that they can have with people. That's is the warning that we need to keep an eye on. And that's why the spiritual leaders, that's what the role of the elders and the leaders in the local church are to constantly overseeing what is being taught because it is easy or false doctrines to slip. And we see that in Acts 20. Children's ministry, for instance. I, I am very, very, very watchful of who goes into the children's ministry to help and to teach. They have to know the doctrine. They have to be tested to make sure that they don't go into that environment and spew out false teachings to the children of any age. And I watch it like a hawk. From a, you think it's from afar, but I can see everything. I watch everything. Why? Because I need to protect those little hearts of the kids at all times. And thank God that we've never had a problem, thank God, in 10 years of being uh, since this church has started. Now, Paul warns Timothy against argumentative heretics. And we see that the adversary of God's word, their adversary, I should say, of God's word is an enemy in a way because they do not want to talk about or to teach the Bible. They want to talk about their own theories or their own additions of uh, philosophies uh, that blends the worldly philosophy with godly philosophy and tries to, to bring about their own attention to what they know or they don't know, or which we realize they don't know. But, but it's the words of the Lord Jesus Christ I want you to draw attention to. Because he says, even the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning people do, will stop believing and stop applying to their lives the things of God, from the word of God. And we find that this might seem like an unnecessary warning that Paul has to tell Timothy, but Timothy needs to understand there's an obvious danger for people coming in who stop talking about clearly talking simply of what the Word of God says and starts adding or does something differently with it when it comes to the priority of the Word of God. And let me give you some of the things where this... this how people can some way come in and... and, 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 and and just come in in a false way when it comes to fellowshipping with other people, when it comes to the word of God. And the people that do not consent to the truth of God, how do they do that? Well, some deny God's word in its entirety. So you'll be sitting there in the fellowship and all of a sudden you'll say, well, the word of God says that. Well, I don't think the Old Testament applies today. It's just the New Testament. That's, that's, that's someone's not been taught properly, or it's a false teacher. Or it could be some ignoring God's word. Well, that applies maybe back then, but it doesn't apply to us today. This is a modern society, so those things don't apply. Do you really realize what the culture and what the government said or what the, what the, you know, the culture in general says it's okay to do? Back then, maybe it wasn't good, but now it's okay. No, that's someone who is a non-believer or a brand new believer or a false teacher. Another way is some explain away God's word. You'll sit there and it says, well, what is, you read it. What does the word of God say? You cannot live together. You and man and woman cannot live together. You, that's against the scripture. Fornication. Well... It, it, today, you just have to understand, we love each other. We don't have to have a piece of paper to prove that we love each other. And they'll, they'll rationalize away what the scripture is very clear in. Again, be very careful when you find yourself explaining away God's word. Or some twist God's word, using it like a, a, a game or a toy in a game of debate and disputes. It's always fun to find people who love to have played the game of dispute. Because they're always looking for someone to kind of challenge me of what I'm, I'm a, I want to debate you. I want to dispute everything you have to say. And it's like a game to them. I got your game. 
Be very careful with people who are like that. Because some people play this game of let's memorize parts of the Bible so I can use it in the game of trivial pursuit because it's just a game to me. It's just a curiosity. It's an interest of mine for this moment of a season of my life. But I was interested in all the other ten religions too. When you have this culture that we live in where there's this overwhelming access to useless information, it is easy to regard the Bible as useless information or as a source of answers to trivial questions that you're trying to play, play with. But God's truth confronts, boldly confronts, and transforms people's lives. If you've been studying the word of God, you understand how the, the power of God, the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to transform a person's life. If they will be willing to let. But we find here these marks. Disregarding the, the, the truths of, uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ, the truths of doctrines, they're proud, they, they really don't know anything, but they think they know everything. Um, they're always obsessed with disputes and arguments. And you notice that Paul mentions that it's going to bring about envy, strife, reviling, and evil suspicions. That's what will happen in the peop those people's minds. They'll envy him and his office as a pastor, and they will envy it, but they, without admitting that they envy the fact that that's a, I'm not the pastor up there teaching, and I should be. That's what creeps in with false teachers. Not only envy will creep, creep in there, but they will cause strife. They'll cause conflict, and they'll cause Friction among Christians. That's the other thing that will happen as false teachers are not uh, dealt with. Or they'll promote reviling, Paul says, which means critiquing or bad-mouthing the pastors and the spiritual leaders of that church. You'll find someone, and again, they won't say it boldly, but they'll say it in these little side conversations inside or outside the church. If that happens, if someone does that for, to, to you, you immediately should have a flag fly up and say, what do you mean you're critiquing and bad-mouthing? Can you explain it to me a little bit more clearly? Because that was a broad statement you made about the pastor's teaching. So can you show me in the scripture why you think that was wrong? That's what you should be asking. Don't let them just let them fly with the bad-mouthing and critiquing. Or causing a, a criticism, strife in, among the people. You should not allow that to happen within the body of Christ. We're supposed to be in unity. Or evil suspicions will start creeping in. Always suspecting Timothy, the pastor, and the other spiritual leaders in the church are doing evil motives and plots. They must be doing all kinds of bad things. When's the last time you've seen them? What do they do outside of church? You know, are they accountable? Are they, how much money do they get made? Are they doing this? Are they taking advantage of this? Evil suspicions start spreading within the congregation when someone who's a false teacher trying to cause division. That's how the enemy works. Now, did Paul tell Timothy at the very, at the very end that these are people you should just let go in the Christian in the church and just let them freely just keep going as and not be addressed? Of course not. He even says a mark would be that there's this useless wranglings that would be taking these useless arguments start happening with these people, with the people in the church. Causing arguments over the most trivial of things or not. But notice here at the very end, he says, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. This is where the key characteristic or mark of a false teacher within a church. They look at this opportunity within the church as a way of making money. Or a way of getting gains financially or some some special treatment, but mostly money in the, in the area of running a church. 
And so they desire, Paul says here, their motive is desire for wealth and comfort in their life. The religious ministers use their religious profession as a means to make money. It's just a job for them. Or it's just a religious business that gives them the ability to make money at a nice, easy, kind of controlled environment life with a guaranteed retirement kinds of mentality. Paul was very careful. If you study the life of Paul, he was very careful not to use his calling and ministry as a means of making money. Matter of fact, he refused support from the Corinthian church so that they could not use that as an accusation against him in the, what God was doing in and through his life. You can go back in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 15 through 19 to read that. But it's very common in Christianity circles today that somehow people think the church is some way is a way to get gain. I'm just going to hang around church because there's a certain few hundred people and I've got a business and I need to get my real estate business cards out as best I can. I've got a home-based business and I'm going to get a, go to the largest church so I can circulate and get my home-based business going and get my cards up in the church. It goes on and on from a, over time because it's very worldly thinking. But sometimes people think that the subtleness of it is not always money. Sometimes in Christian circles, they're taught from the pulpit, if you give your life to Jesus, you will be happier than you'll ever be. You will be wealthier than you'll ever be. You'll be healthier than you'll ever be. And you'll have a stronger family than you'll ever be. And you'll have a more secure life and everything is going to be beautiful and rosy. Now don't get me wrong. Compared to the life as a non-believer, yes, your life is going to get much better. But the scripture also says we're going to expect persecution for our faith. Yes, your family can be healed. Yes, you can live a better lifestyle so it causes you to be more healthier physically and mentally. All of these things are true, but that is not why you come to Christ. So many people come to Christ because they're looking for the blessings versus the one with the personal relationship with the blesser. You know there's a difference, right? Are you tracking with me today? We come to Christ because we want to know the blesser, not for the blessings. We're looking for a savior, for eternal life. And not the, what he get, will give to us. Matter of fact, as a Christian, as you get born again and you grow mature, it will go from what can I get from the church? What can I get from this relationship? Because that was your selfish, worldly way. It will switch and turn upside down and say, what can I give to my Lord and Savior? What can I give to his people? What can I give in the resources that God has given me in my time, money, energy, wisdom, whatever it is God has given me? How can I give back for how much God has given me, my life, my eternal life? What is that worth to you, my brothers and sisters? It's priceless. It's priceless to have eternal life. You can't put value to it. All you can do is sit there and humbly thank God by his grace and mercy that he saved us. We need to see Christians who are more concerned with what glorifies God than with what benefits me. And at the very end, Paul says to Timothy, this is how you deal with these people. From such, withdraw yourself. Do not fellowship with these people. They will have an effect on you. Be very careful of these people who are false teaching and subtly teaching these things. Do not allow them to have influence over you, Timothy, in your ministry. 
Why? He gives you, Paul gives more specifics here in verse 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul told Timothy, Timothy that those misuse God's word wrongly think godliness is a means of material gain. We have to be very careful. The word contentment means an inner sufficiency. An inner sufficiency that keeps us at peace in spite of our outward circumstances. God brings such peace in your life. You could say, I don't know how we're going to pay the bills. I don't know where we're going to get our next meal. We're about to lose and have to be out on the streets. Where are we going to live? And there'll be a peace, a godly contentment that will come across you and say, but God is in control. He's our heavenly father. And let us seek him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. He will guide us because he is faithful to provide for us. He's our great provider. And whatever he gives us will be content. We will have an inner sufficiency a peace that this is good and right and i don't have to have a lot i just need a little matter of fact paul continues and actually gives specifics about that but let me read for you his life paul's life in philippians chapter 4 verse 11 through 13 because he understood what he was talking about when he talked about this kind of contentment firsthand he says not that i speak in in regard to need for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, meaning I'll have a lot in my life. I have a lot of resources in my life. And I know how to abase, I'm sorry, how to be abased, meaning have nothing. And I know how to abound, meaning having a lot. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, many times people will quote the last part of that verse, right? It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But remember, there's verses that go before that too, you know. Are we content with a lot that God has given you or the very little that he has given you at that point in your life? Because as Paul's life, you will have different things in your life where is, there's many things you have available to you, resources, and there's some that you barely wonder if there's anything to your name. But do you still have that godly contentment in regardless of that state? And as a mature Christian, you will in due time. You will get to a point where you will have that godly contentment if you continue to pursue and to draw close to him. Because one of the challenges in this world today is you're constantly being marketed to. You're constantly being told you're discontent. You're discontent with your life. You're discontent with your car, your house, your clothes, your job. It's constantly marketing to you that you're discontent. And so what does that cause people? If they're not solidly mature as a Christian, you will fill that void that you believe you have in your life. Now, I'm talking to Christians now. I'm not talking to non-Christians. Non-Christians already have a major void. They need Christ, period. But you filled that void. You have Christ in your life. And you still feel like you're discontented. It's because you're not godly contented. Godliness with contentment. It's not just godliness. It's not just contentment. But it's godliness with contentment. You have this godly contentment in your life that doesn't matter what happens and what resources you have or don't have available to you at that moment. You're still at peace with God. So what happens here is that we find in the state where people are starting to try to fill this void with shopping. I need to shop. It solves all of my depression issues. No, it doesn't. You've been saying that for the last 20 years I've known you. It hasn't worked for you. Why do you think it's going to work this year? Or this week? Or this day? And now it's made even easier for you. You don't even have to leave the comforts of your house. 
And you sit there and go, I just don't feel, I feel lonely. Okay, let me go shopping. Oh, did you hear what they said? Oh, I'm so angry. Let me go shopping. I've had a bad hair day. Let me go shopping. I have nothing in the cupboards. Even though you have lots of food, let me go shopping. It'll come right to my doorstep. Now again, that is good and convenient. I'm not saying that's bad. It's what motivates you. God is what's going to fill those voids of that loneliness and despair and, and whatever it is you're causing you, not the shopping and achieving more material stuff. It's just going to, the more you think about yourself, the more miserable you become. The more you hoard stuff, the more you think you need to upgrade and do all kinds of stuff, not because you need to, because it's just somehow you think it makes you feel better. Or what would the Joneses think? It goes on and on and on. My brothers and sisters, Paul is saying to Timothy and Timothy to teach the people, let me to teach you, is that we must understand godliness with contentment is great gain. And we must, as Romans 12, 2 says, we must have God transform our mind and renew our mind and how we deal with stuff in our life. We must. Now some people say, well, if I was rich, I wouldn't have this problem. Not true. Statistics show that the, the richer you are, the more highest risk of wanting more riches and highest suicides than poor people. So it doesn't matter if you're poor right now or if you're rich right now. The issue is a heart issue. You must grow in your knowledge and understanding of who God is and the truths of God and apply them. Do not sway from them and you will experience the godly contentment in your life. And you will solve the problem if you have a problem with stuff that consumes you and literally owns you. And Paul continues in verse 7, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we, carry, we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. So he says, hey, let me give you back to the very simple reality. You were naked when you came into this place, and you're going to go out with nothing when you leave this place. So get the reality set for you. Because you're accumulating all this stuff for what? There's certainly no hearst that your body's in going down the road going to be chased by some U-Haul. You've heard the funny stories, right? Their prized possession car that they restored and it was their baby, their little god that they drove around to get attention and they wanted to be buried in it. Do you realize that car is just a bunch of rusted old tin and buried in the ground? Couldn't take it with them. All the gold and all the precious things. I mean, you hear all the stories of people, you know, their lifestyle, was, identity was based on, you know, all kinds of stuff that they had. And they want it buried in their coffins with them. Why? The government's going to get it. Your family will get it. Someone's going to get it because you're not going to be getting it. You're naked when you came into this world. And you're going to go out with nothing when you leave this world. And Paul says, that's reality. But if you have food and clothing, you have a, 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 a shelter for you to live in, now be content. Do you realize, if you go and do the statistics, do you know here in the United States, if you have very little to nothing, you're wealthy compared to the 90% of the rest of the world? If you were born and raised here and you've never been overseas and you've never even looked at other people in, who are living however they live, you have to understand, you got more than 90% of the population. We have to be thankful. And we need to understand where our self-discontented life is based upon and we need to seek God and have him help you through that, so you have this godly content that Paul talks about. 
In verse 9, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Perdition meaning damnation or hell. Verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So we finish here in verses 9 and 10 with some very important things that Paul speaks to here. He says, you've got to pursue this godly contentment in your life. Get Whatever it is, just seek the Lord. He will help you through that. Because if not, if you're just wrapped up in this false teaching that says you can just do whatever you want to do and live however you want to live and somehow that God will just be pleased with that is just false teaching. If you think beginning in the ministry and being around the church somehow you can get money and get stuff for the church and, or even get in a position of, of, a, of leadership so you can somehow gain and get money from the, to, to, to live a life. So again, it's wrong thinking. But look what happens. Paul warns here the folly of this greedy heart of a person who's pursuing these things that of the world. He says right here, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. Into many foolish and harmful lusts. So people think, if I was just rich, my life would be so much better. Well, I've never said that, but you went and bought the mega million dollar whatever at the last grocery store the last how many years to try to be mega rich. You were pursuing. So it's a mindset. It could be possibly a mindset that you need to be aware of because you want to get rich. But be very careful. Is it God adding to your life and blessing you with riches? Are you out there figuring out your own way through the world's way and scheming and trying to, to get ahead of someone and make your own richness? Be very careful. Because when God adds resources to your life, he knows you can handle it. Do you know that? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added, what? Unto you. Pursue God first. And if he blesses you with millions or with thousands or whatever it is, it's God adding to your life. Not for you personally, because you're going to be godly content. That means he's going to give you resources to be able to help what? Others. That's how some Christians, God's blessing me. My business, my this, my jobs, I keep getting promoted. I, I didn't even ask for the promotion. They keep promoting me and I keep... Because God is blessing you. That's not for you to just personally go do more stuff and have more stuff. But it's, you have to understand it's for, to be used for others. For his kingdom. For his purpose. That's, what we, that's why we give tithes, gifts, and offerings. Why? Because we joyfully get to give back to what God has given us. It's, it's a way of dying of self. If you don't give to the things of God, then you're being selfish. That's the opposite. And so God warns us in the scriptures, don't be selfish. If I bless you, it's because I need to provide for you and for others. Now, what, look what happens, though. If you get rich and you fall, you could potentially be at very risk of falling into temptation and a snare. And foolish and harmful lusts start coming. Notice the consequences, which drowned men, pulls them down in destruction and perdition. Those are strong words, my brothers and sisters. Very, very, very strong words of warning to us in this pursuit of thinking you, you want to be rich. Again, it's not the problem. Why do we know this? Because we know in the scripture that God brought tremendous wealth on godly men. If you go back and study the life of Abraham and the life of David and the life of Solomon, these are godly men that God used and brought more wealth than we can't even speak of. 
So it's not the, it's not the wealth, uh, the money itself. Because right there in verse 10, he says, for the love of money is a root that can take place in your life that can bring all kinds of evil into your life. How many stories? People winning the mega, mega millions. And then in just a few years later, they've lost everything and they're suicidal. They, they just couldn't handle any of that. Be very careful what you ask for. Just keep seeking God. My own testimony, my own life. I have just pursued God and God has blessed me. In the business world. He called me to be a pastor, which is still absolutely shocking to me. Even after all these years. But I don't look and I don't ask for anything. I just keep doing what God's called me to do and to be faithful in doing it. He will take care of me and my family. And he has, faithfully. He'll do the same for you because the word of God says it. That's why I know I'm so confident to tell you, trust in God. He will provide for you. Whatever his will is. We don't want all kinds of evil coming into your life. I don't know about you. And look also, notice the end of verse 10. Some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You can get so wrapped up in trying to become rich, you will absolutely lose focus on who Christ is and what he's called you to do. You always have this sense you feel like you've missed out on something. Or you didn't get the benefits like everyone else. Because when I look at everybody else, they seem to be have a, such a nicer, better, comfy kind of life. And I, I wanna, I'm going to figure this out and do it my way. And we can do this and I can strategize and I can justify and I can spend time over here. And I, can, I need to... My brothers and sisters, you've got to get to a point in your walk with your Savior to realize that he could come back today and take us home. So your pursuits of worldly gain will mean nothing if he returns today. All I ask as a pastor is if there's a challenge in your life of trying to do it your way and pursue a lifestyle that you want. And I left that very broad. Because we can design our life. I want to live here. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do this. Unless it is of God, it will mount to nothing. You will waste the time that God has given you. You will waste the money that God's given you. And he'll waste, he'll, your life will be wasted. If you would just take it a step back and say, God, I give you all my life. I surrender it all. It's all yours anyway. Why do I even think it's mine? It's just resources you've given me, and I'm supposed to manage it well. And I need your wisdom. I need your understanding. I need your application to do what is right and good in your eyes that pleases you. And when you keep it that simple, you will watch God do things in your life that you can't even explain except God gets all the glory. You know it's all God that did it. Through the time of being very poor. Many of you know that Kathleen and I both were in the military. And we sat there and said, Lord, Kathleen goes, it's time for me to get out of the military. I need to raise, I need to raise our babies. Now, we were too young, not many stripes, 
in California barely making it. If you came to our house, you would find that bungee cord strapped to the front of the oven to keep the oven shut. And when people came over, we'd take the bungee cord off and stick it in the drawer so you wouldn't see that we have a bungee cord just to keep our oven closed so we could use it. It goes on and on. But God was faithful. And we took the step of faith and she got out. And God never, never failed. He always provided for us on one income. God miraculously promoted me in a job. As I got out of the military, provided a, a job and then kept getting promotions, even though I never asked. God just always faithfully came through for us. Didn't have much, didn't need much. We just kept faithfully serving God and he kept providing for us. So as a testimony, I can tell you, my brothers and sisters, trust God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Amen? And have that godly contentment. You'll never regret it.